Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. This is the Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. We have back by popular demand BJ Gallagher, and I am just so delighted to talk about her new book, Leadership Secrets of Oz. And I think so many of us have, have a fondness uh, for the movie The Wizard of Oz that, that this book will just feel like such a natural extension of our, our childhood experience and bridging us all the way to where we are in our leadership roles. BJ, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Well, I love the subtitle of this book, Strategies from Great and Powerful to Flying Monkeys, Unleash Some Magic in Your Management. And, you know, it's it's funny, BJ, you wrote in the front of this book when you sent it to me to review, enjoy, and not E-N-J-O-Y as one word, but two words, I-N-J-O-Y. And what you couldn't have known at the time was that I had just finished my first allegorical business novel and the whole heart of that message is all about injecting joy into your business and into your work Whoa, life. Oh, I had no idea. Oh, I know, but isn't it perfect <laughs> how everything fits together? Synchronicity, it's fabulous. It does. So you had, I think, great fun writing this. I mean, I can tell uh, just by the tone, and, and you had a, just a wonderful introduction written by Clint, uh, Ken Blanchard, uh, the author of The One Minute Manager, and uh, and you start the book off uh, talking about how there's no place like home, which of course is what Dorothy says throughout the book. The other yes. thing you couldn't have known is my birth name uh, 59 years ago was Dorothy. Oh, and I was that? never, I was never called Dorothy, by the way. And in fact, I was taunted by kids in school. Uh, you know, Dorothy, where's Toto? So <laughs> there is, there is something about how all of this hangs together that that Isn't may that uh, emerge as we talk in this interview. But tell us what home represents in the context of this book. Um. I- Dorothy's story and the story of of all four of the uh, the travelers, the the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, the Lion, and Dorothy, is um, it it fits the paradigm of the classic hero's myth that the 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 hero leaves home in search of a better place. There's a there's a dissatisfaction. There's a sense like things must be better someplace else. I'm not very happy here, so I'm going to go out and find nirvana or heaven or whatever and the hero sets off on this journey and has great adventures and uh, dangers and successes and failures and getting lost and getting found and all those sorts of things and ultimately the hero comes back home again 
and finds that much to his or her surprise, um, much of what they were searching for was there all along. But they had to leave home to come back and recognize it. Mm-hmm. And that's really the story of Dorothy. If, if you remember how the, how the movie starts, it's in black and white. It's kind of grainy. Uh, her aunt and uncle with whom she lives are, are very busy. They've got a farm and there's a big storm coming and her, her aunt is kind of irritable. And then there's, there's, uh, um, you know, the crabby old neighbor lady on the bicycle and, the the encounter with the dog and the whole thing and so Dorothy's rich. she goes this you know there there must be a better place someplace I don't <laughs> right. I don't like I'm unhappy here and and there's troubles and difficult people and right. and surely there must be someplace better and then um, the tornado comes and she has she's transported and she has a chance to uh, find out if indeed if indeed there is a better place. Well, BJ, I jumped way ahead, and I don't normally do that. We normally start with you telling us a little bit about you. And as I mentioned, you know, we have had you uh, on the show before, and you have written a lot of books. And uh, I, I would love for our listeners just to get a, a little bit of insight into you. Sure, I'd be happy to um, to tell you a little bit about myself. I. Um, I'm an I'm an Air Force kid. My my dad was a military man. So while I was born in Southern California, I grew up all over the world. And so I again I really identify with Dorothy's travels because as a kid growing up, I I uh when things got difficult as they do for children, um unhappy experiences at school or whatever, difficult social problems or whatever, I'd always think, okay, well, things will be better in the next place. And and so there was always this thinking that the answer was someplace else, that happiness was someplace else, um, that the problem was never me. The problem was the situation. And, you know, I wanted to I just waited to move on to the next situation. So that sort of uh, traveling vagabond, uh, looking for love in all the, well, right and wrong places, <laughs> but ultimately discovering after all those years of wandering and coming back to California to uh, to settle down was that, uh, oh, the answer isn't someplace else, because wherever I went, there I was. <laughs> As the old saying goes, wherever you go, yeah. there you are. And and so the answer isn't um, isn't moving or finding it someplace else. The answer is, um, it's a spiritual answer. It's an emotional answer. It's, yes. it's really discovery. It's going inside. And um, so... Dorothy's story really works on a on a metaphorical level too. And I think that's why it's so universal. I mean, this this book, the 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 original Wizard of Oz book and the movie, the movie, the movie itself has been seen by one sixth of the world's population. Wow. It has traveled across continents and cultures. It's been translated into different languages. I mean, there's a universal appeal to this story because it's a human story. It's my story. Mm-hmm. It's your story. And, it, you know, I certainly resonate with it. So I came back to California 
uh, went to college, got married, started my family, got divorced, um, and have done a number of things. Went to Delaware for a couple of years, went to Washington, came back to California, and have been in California ever since. So um, I've been self-employed since 91, and so I, I've written, gosh, over 30 books since then. Um I mostly write. I write books. I write for Huffington Post. I also do keynotes and workshops. So I still get to travel a bit, um, mm-hmm. although I, I, I no longer look for my answers in my travel. I just right. enjoy the travel for what it is. So I write right. books. I teach seminars and workshops and give keynotes and um, enjoy having a base of operations. My family's still here in Southern California. My dad just turned 93. Um, my mother just turned 89. Unfortunately, oh she has God. end-stage Alzheimer's. She's been sick right. for over a decade, but she's still hanging in there, and my grown son lives nearby. And So I'm just sort of the quintessential California girl who uh, who grew up all around the world, but um, but always knew there was no place like home. <laughs> well, and you you have taken that word home and and brought forth really four truths that are woven uh, into your story. And again, you you had such a beautiful story to begin with because it's the whole metaphorical story, as you've said, of, of Dorothy. But you talk about the H being honest assessments of your talents and skills, and and that's mm-hmm. probably one of the most difficult things is is really to look at ourselves in in that light right and you talk about uh you know how in your your travels or you know as your your dad's job caused you guys to have to move always thinking someplace was going to be better but but you're right you do take yourself with you and and while my dad wasn't uh in in the military he was a Presbyterian minister, which was kind of the same thing, like every kind five of the years, same whether, thing. Whether, yep. whether we needed to or not, we, we moved. And I went to two different grade schools, two different middle schools, and two different high schools. And and uh, while that um, had its challenges socially, it, it actually made me into who I am, right? That, mm-hmm. that adaptability mm-hmm. and flexibility. And so the O is, is an interesting one for you and I, because it means that you're open to new challenges and changes and we didn't mm-hmm. have a choice right? right we weren't given a choice that was our world and uh and so that comes to the m of home which is making the most of every every opportunity and then the last letter the e is one that neither of us have any problem with which is expressing <laughs> our ideas insights and creativity but i understand that some people do struggle with all of those things so let's let's dive in and and you've really separated the book in into some some pretty logical parts and I'm assuming that we're not talking about the uh the other part of the planet that has not seen the movie or read the book right <laughs> so we're going to we're going to start with the scarecrow right and who said you know if I only had a brain and yes. and so this is about building brains and what would you do with a brain if you had one <laughs> Well, that's right. I I took each of the characters and because that's this is a book about leadership and leadership involves um it you know, at least it as it fits into the the paradigm of the Oz story, it's about um building brains and heating your heart and cultivating courage. And so there's 
the three different characters, so there's really a section of the book devoted to each character and the lessons of those of those characters. So the building brains is about learning to practice divergent thinking to see that there are usually several solutions to any problem, uh, learning from experience and especially painful experience, um, learning when to speak and when to keep quiet, and um, understanding that learning is, is lifelong, that it, it your brain doesn't stop growing when you graduate from high school or college or technical school or wherever that that you're you're if you're really serious about building your brain and the brains of anybody who works for you you're always you're always looking for learning opportunity and that um uh that leaders understand that everybody is born with a certain amount of intelligence some people have a lot of it and some people not so much but it doesn't really matter how much you're born with. It's what you do with what you have. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because there, exactly. there are people who who don't have huge IQs, but they have huge success in life because they know how to use what they have. Right. Right. And, and we have all known, you know, brainiacs that were in leadership positions that had no common sense or no ability uh, to interface with other people. So, uh, you know, that's a recipe for disaster as well. Now, oh, my I, goodness. I think, <laughs> yeah, the Somebody years thing, ago said, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that for those who are listening and have not gone out and bought this book yet, because you must, um, each section of the book goes back and pulls in not just the character of the scarecrow, obviously, who needed the brain, but it it also goes back and has the interactions between the various other characters where they were talking about thinking. And, And so as I look back at this, it's masterful how you've pulled all of these leadership lessons right out of dialogue that actually happened in the movie, which was not about leadership. Exactly, exactly. And and how I did that was I I I knew I wanted to write about the uh, leadership in the Wizard of Oz and I obviously I knew the 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 three Dorothy's three traveling companions mm-hmm. and what the lessons were for me. So I I jotted down the lessons. What are what are leaders what are things that leaders need to know about brains? What are things that leaders need to know about courage? And what do they need to know about the heart? And then I got a hold of the script from the movie and went through the script and started looking for quotes uh, in the the script that pertain to the point I wanted to make. And so we... We um, fortunately, I work with a publisher that has a good relationship with Warner Brothers, so we got permission to use the quotes from the movie because wow. some of the dialogue in the movie is not in the book, um, and there are some differences. For instance, in the book, the original book written over a hundred years ago, Dorothy's shoes were silver; they weren't red. And in the movie, they're red. And there's a whole, you know, story about how that happened. But uh, but anyway, so I pulled the quotes from the from the movie. So each chap, each lesson begins with a dialogue between the characters, and the illustrations. I don't know if you noticed these charming illustrations. The illustrations are from the original book. 
So the yeah, illustrations they're, they're spectacular. are over 100 years old. They're over 100 years old. They're, they're drawn right out of L. Frank Baum's book. And um, they, we sort of experimented with using scenes from the movie, using photographs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just wasn't, yeah, it just didn't work. And so we said, well, let's look at the illustrations from the book. And they're just, so we we took the best from both. We took dialogue right. from the movie because it's amazing how many quotes in popular culture came from that movie. Like, we're not in Kansas anymore. I mean, right, how many times right. do you hear people say that? So so the movie, there's these wonderful quotes from the movie and wonderful illustrations from the book. Well, and I will also say that uh, I'm, I'm just a sucker for uh, the layout of books. And, and this book, at the end of each section, has uh, questions and action tips that allow you to take what you've just read and really relate it back to your own situation. And, uh, you know, that to me takes what's already just such a content-rich book and fun to read. And as you mentioned, the the illustrations are just precious. Um, But actually turns it into a workbook that you could use with your team, literally. And, And I think it would be fun to use it with a team. I think so I think so too and I really try to make my books both inspirational and practical. Mm-hmm. So I almost always weave in uh specific how-to tips because it's I remember years ago when I wrote my first business book A Peacock in the Land of Penguins and I was meeting with somebody at Simon and Schuster about whether or not they were going to publish it and they said this was really helpful feedback. The editor said, you've done a really good job of outlining the problem. You haven't told us what the solution is. And I went, oh, that was really, <laughs> that was really helpful because it it's easy to point out problems. It's a lot right. harder to, to come up with solutions. And so, so now I, I, but when I write, I talk about the problem, but then I also make sure I leave the reader with at least a few suggestions of solutions. And I certainly don't pretend to have all the answers or all the suggestions, but just enough to get them started. And they're often in the form of questions. I, 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 I call them pump primers, um, that you just prime the pump and you get the, you get the ideas and the thinking flowing, and then the reader can take it from there. Well, I love that. So I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to move on to the heart, because the heart. part two of the book is about the Tin Man, you know, or is framed around the Tin Man, and it's called Heeding Your Heart, which I actually love the use of that word. It, it, it's not a word that we use very often, heeding, uh, in, in common English language, but it, it's very, very pointed here. And it's, mm-hmm. it's a very intense kind of listening, right? Mm-hmm. It is. It's, um, and you have to you have to be relatively quiet to hear your heart because the heart usually whispers. And so it's it's um, it's really again it's it's going within to use not only your your head but your heart because the head alone will give you. 
um, maybe some ideas and suggestions, but if you leave the heart out of the equation, you've left the humanity out of the equation. Mm-hmm. So that good leadership is always about the human touch, meeting people where they live, being compassionate, being forgiving, um, being able to connect with people on a on a heart-to-heart level. I mean, we don't use the word love in leadership and management or in business at all very much, but right. that's really what this is about. It's about bringing right. love into the equation. Well, love and joy. For, and, and joy. joy because, love and joy. Yeah, yeah in, my, in my book, it was uh, particularly to the male characters in, in my story because it, it is also an, uh, you know, an allegorical kind of pulling a lot of me- metaphorical information out of situations. The men were all very surprised um, that joy was what was going to be the ingredient that changed mm-hmm their leadership and change the success quotient of the company. And, you know, again, I, I love how you start with, uh, you know, the, the observation uh, uh, actually by uh, someone in the, um, the scene where they're in the, uh, the, the little village where the munchkins are, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, are you a good witch or a bad witch, right? And so Dorothy <laughs> is forced into that place where she says, well, I'm not a witch at all, right? Which is that, that self-assessment uh, that you talk about in the beginning of the book about really knowing yourself and, and being yes. clear on who you are and who you aren't. And, and uh, I think the other interesting observation is the one about being grateful for wherever you are rather than complaining about where you are and being the victim, right? And, and mm-hmm. you know, focusing on what you don't like and, and, you know, but really looking at what's good about it and then figuring out how you take it to the next level and making it better. It, absolutely, because the, um, we, uh, the mind is a mismatch detector. The mind will always notice what's wrong. And as human beings, we're really good it's it's a survival uh, thing, you know. It's yeah. it, it enables us. If there's something wrong in your environment, it may be dangerous, and that's why your mind notices it. But it works against us in terms of interacting with other people, finding joy in our work and our life. If the mind is always um, dissatisfied and and restless, and and um, you know, if you're a chronic fault finder, if nothing's ever good enough there's no joy. There's no joy in Mudville. There's no joy anywhere. And so um, some of this has to do with retraining our minds and retraining our hearts to to look for, I love what Ken Blanchard says. He says, catch people doing something right and acknowledge exactly. them for it. That is probably the single best management advice anybody could ever get because it's easy to catch people doing something wrong and right. that's what a, far too many bosses do. But if if we went through life catching people doing something right, whether it's our kids, our employees, our, our customers, our spouses, mm-hmm. our neighbors, um, it's about celebrating what's right with the world instead of constantly focusing on what's wrong with the world. Right. Well, and I I think that also ties into heart lesson number four, uh, which is so counterintuitive to the way the world works. Leaders know that there's strength in vulnerability. Yes. And 
uh, I, I have taken a, a fair bit of criticism over the years for how transparent I am on this particular radio show each week. And, you know, there there really isn't much about my own life that I won't talk about, right, whether it's you mm-hmm. know, business failure or, you know, something that I could have done better with my children or my husband uh, or money or, you know, whatever the topic is, because I really believe in this particular lesson, that if you're willing to share your vulnerabilities, and that means sometimes sharing that backstory that somebody says, oh, man, I had that same experience, and here's what happened to me, right? And you would never, ever get to have that discussion had you not opened up the vulnerability. Right, right. Because we don't connect with people based on our successes, We connect with people based on our humanity. And our humanity is fallible. It's imperfect. It's messy. It's, it's, um, you know, I, I have just found, and I was raised to be a perfectionist. My, my, both my parents were perfectionists and to, to fake it till you make it and hold it all together. And I thought I had to have all the right answers. And, um, I discovered, the first thing that taught me that I that was uh, wrong-headed was parenting. That being a single parent and raising a son, I realized how often I didn't have the answers. And so I did something radical. Rather than pretend to have the answers when it came to dealing with issues with my son, I would tell the truth. And I would tell him, you know, I don't know what to do in this situation. I I don't know. What do you think? And then we'd have a conversation about it. So rather than, you know, too many parents try to pretend to be the Wizard of Oz. You know, I'm all powerful and all wise <laughs> and I have all the answers. And never let the kids see your humanity. Never. Let, right. And I, I remember, gosh, even when he was a teenager, this brings tears to my eyes. It was the summer he was... Um, maybe it was spring before he was heading for his 18th birthday and he was finishing high school. And the plan had always been that he'd graduate high school and he'd go away to college. And I remember, I'll I'll never forget this conversation when I, I said, you know, I have such mixed feelings about your 18th birthday and graduating from high school and everything because part of me wants you to leave the nest and go out and try your wings and like go 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 you need to you need to go and fly away into the world and be a man and and then Mm -hmm. the other part of me wants to hold on and go oh don't ever leave don't ever leave home I love you so much don't ever leave (laughs) and I said I don't know what I think it was when we were debating whether to move into Los Angeles or he was going to go away or what and I said I don't know what to do I don't have any answers and he kind of looked at me and he goes I don't either. And I said, well, okay, then let's do nothing for now until we find an answer, and we'll find it together. And he said, okay, that sounds good. And it was just, it's so freeing not to feel like you have to know everything and and to be the all-wise wizard, but to share your vulnerability and say, I don't know, or I'm confused, or I'm hurt right now, and, you know, my heart is hurting and man, it's really, really powerful. Really, it powerful. really is. And you know, I've I've certainly experienced that. I 
partially because I'm a serial entrepreneur and I, I work at home. Um, and I'm, I am playing the dual role of, of mom and CEO and wife and friend and, you know, kind of mm-hmm. all the things that, that you, you get to do in this life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I live this kind of transparent life moving from one role to another. Other people have the, what I will call a luxury of of having some separation between who they are, and and during the last fifteen twenty years, there was a huge piece of time where my husband actually worked for me, so we we had very little separation uh, in, in the roles. But you know, I have found it incredibly freeing at this juncture in my life, and and I only have one child at home now. My daughter is uh, at the University of Warsaw in Poland, and mm-hmm. in her freshman year. And so it's just my son and I, and it has been really a lot of fun. But we've had a lot of those discussions, and mm-hmm. and I actually shared with him a truth that my grandfather passed to my mother, who passed to me, which is when in doubt, don't, right? Mm-hmm. And and what you just described was that. You don't have to come up with this, this answer. And so part three of the book is about cultivating courage. And part mm-hmm. of that courage is what we've just talked about, of actually admitting that you're not only frightened, but you're petrified, right? Which is, yeah, is the yeah. quote from the beginning of this. And and while this chapter is about the the cowardly lion, right, who thought he had no courage, um, the first quote is actually from the Wizard of Oz himself. Um, and so this begins talking about how courage doesn't mean having no fear, right? It means right. feeling that fear and taking that action anyway. So talk to us a little bit about courage. I think yeah, courage is. We have this image of courage in our in our society about um, you know about having about feeling no fear and um, and it's and it's just not true. It's having it's having that fear. And I think it was John Wayne, wasn't it John Wayne, who said, you know, fear is saddling up and riding anyway. So yes, it's um, it, it's it's about discerning between uh real dangers and imaginary ones that's one of the components exactly. because we are often afraid of th- we're afraid of the wrong things we're afraid of things that probably aren't are never going to happen but we um you know being being courageous and being wise is being able to right. to tell the difference not scaring ourselves because the the worry wart in all of us we can scare ourselves to death with stuff that has a very low probability of happening, but that that fear can um, can paralyze us. Right. Uh, courage also means um, selecting your picking the right battles, uh, not tilting at every windmill. Um, right. Stewarding your energy well and go is that one I want to take on? Is that a battle worth fighting, or shall I just wait? This 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 will pass and save my energy for something. Um, for something more important. Right, right. Well, and I, I love courage lesson number four, which is asking others for their candid advice to ensure their decisions are smart and doable and not surrounding yourself with yes men. And and I you know I think that, that that's a tough one for some people because they're so afraid of not having all of the answers um, that they do just want that validation from people around them, even even if it is the wrong thing. And and so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, of course, because they're afraid of failing, and then they fail because they don't really get honest right. input. 
Right. And that they, I mean, I go back to what my mother used to say about two heads are better than one. And I think, well, maybe six would be even better. So it's, it's, um, courage is about, um, tapping into other people's wisdom and experience. But you're right, many leaders are afraid to ask because they fear that in the asking, they appear stupid. Right. That if they don't, that they somehow they think they should know the answer, so they don't ask for other people's opinions because they don't want to appear like they don't know what they're doing. I was struck this morning, I read the, the headlines as Donald Trump approaches his first hundred days, which I think is tomorrow. Um, he goes, I didn't know, I didn't know being president was so hard. (laughs) (laughs) We could have predicted that, right? (laughs) Oh my goodness. And, uh, you know, without getting all political, he's been trolling presidents ever since Reagan. Years ago, he ran a full page ad in in the Wall Street Journal about criticizing some decision Reagan made. And I thought... That's the problem with the American people, not just Donald yes. Trump, is everybody <laughs> thinks everybody's an armchair critic. Everybody yeah. says, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? And it's like, I mean, I just we just consider what Obama went through the last eight years. Right. Oh, my God, right. everything he did, he got hammered from the right and the left. There mm-hmm. were people on the left going, well, you didn't do enough for black people and you didn't do enough for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was just like, and it's like everybody thinks it's so easy. But wise, wise leaders, and I, I, I loved one of one of Obama's um, leadership maxims is hold your friends close, hold your enemies closer. <laughs> yes. That listening to listening to your friends' advice, but also listening to your quote enemies. I mean, we don't really have enemies, but listening to people who disagree with you. Seeking mm-hmm. out disconfirming evidence, um, seeking out people that you know are going to give you a contrarian point of view. True. Ultimately, you're going to make your own decision, but um, well, and hopefully you get to courage lesson number six, which is courageous leaders do the right thing no matter yeah. what the opposition is. And yeah. you know, I think at at the end of time, when we measure history and performance, whether it's presidents or CEOs or moms or dads or or just yeah. human beings, right? It will be that in in the face of of uh, trouble, opposition, uh, you know, rain, storms, whatever it is, did we do the right thing? Because it was the right thing. Yeah. Exactly. And that that principle came from a a leadership expert who I've long admired, Warren Bennis. And years ago, I was at the University of Southern California, and he was in the business school. And there was a story that went around campus where at a board of directors meeting, they were all meeting out in La Quinta or someplace out in the desert. And the, 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 the board of trustees, that's who it was, the board of trustees for the university was meeting. And they had Warren Bennis come and speak to them. And he got up and he pounded the table and he said, the problem with this university is it's overmanaged and underled. <laughs> and everybody was startled. And he goes, managers do things right. Leaders do the right thing. So managers are good at following cookbooks and following you know, the, the, the procedures and that. But a leader knows when, despite what, the book may say you do the right thing. 
And, right. and so I think being an effective leader, whether it's in your community, in your family, in your business, it's about knowing when to do which, when to go buy the book, because that's the right thing to do, or when to throw the book out the window and do something else because that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's that's the challenge. It's like the old serenity prayer. You know, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, mm-hmm. the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> and that's really it. As leaders, are we wise enough to know um, when to do things right and when to do the right thing. Right. Well, on that note, BJ, I think we are going to draw this to a close because I'm not sure that we can add anything more. <laughs> this has been... It sort of came to a natural of, end, didn't it? It's it like, oh, oh, we're done. <laughs> it did. Well, and and at that particular juncture, uh, you, you have just, again, a brilliant conclusion to the book of Wise Words from the Wizard of Oz, and you've got uh, 10 different things uh, that that are, are said throughout, you know, the movie, the book, um, and, and the various characters. And again, we have been talking about a book called The Leadership Secrets of Oz, Strategies from Great and Powerful to Flying Monkeys, Unleash Some Magic in Your Management. And, and I would say that this book is going to also unleash bit of joy and and that is a very very healthy ingredient uh, in a management team so bj thank you so so much for your time today and this has just been awesome oh thank you i had such a i always have a great time when i talk with you we have such fun <laughs> don't we we, do, we have joy we share joy in june we are we are going to do some joy in june in la okay Well, I am going to go ahead and stop the recorded portion of this, BJ. If you can just hang on for just a second, I want to say goodbye to our listeners. Thank you so, so much uh, for joining us today. And please join the GameChanger.network, and you will have access to all of our various uh, interviews that I have uh, been doing over the past 10 years on leadership and growth and innovation. And uh, really, our, our goal at the Game Changer Network is to give you ideas, inspiration, and innovation to change your game. So thank you so, so much for joining us, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.